prayer changes everything. And last week we started looking at why God doesn't always answer our prayers. And so we looked at the two big ones. And this week we're continuing the look at why God doesn't answer prayer. I have a few more reasons I want to present to you this morning. Um, but I want to not do it without... I don't want to forget what we talked about last week because the, the ones we talked about last week are so important. And they're the ones that we need to be mindful of. These other ones are, they're important. We need to know, we need to be aware. But uh, we can't forget the first two. So pop quiz for everyone who was here last Sunday. What are the two major reasons God doesn't always answer your prayers? Number one, God doesn't always answer your prayers. Hmm? Okay, that was number two. Yes, God doesn't always answer the prayers we don't pray. We so often just kind of expect God to move, but we're not actually praying for Him to move. And we looked at a whole bunch of reasons why. We looked at cultural reasons. We looked at sometimes we just don't pray enough. We don't pray it through. Um, I think we went through six different reasons last week why we don't pray. So I encourage you to go back and watch if you missed that. So, we don't always pray. The other one? Everyone's not making eye contact. <laughs> he doesn't always answer the way we expect him to answer it, right? Because God is perfect in wisdom. God is perfect in timing. And so sometimes he answers no because his perspective's bigger than ours. Or sometimes it's wait because the timing's just off. Or, right, God's God isn't, doesn't stop being good, and it's not no forever. It's just we need to understand that God is operating on a level that we simply cannot understand. And so he answers in ways that we don't always expect. Or he does answer the prayer, but the, there's some details that he has changed in his perfect wisdom, and, and we miss it, right? Sometimes, and the beautiful thing about hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We look back and we're like, Oh, praise God, he didn't answer that prayer. Or, thank you, God, you answered it the way that you did, because if you had answered the way I wanted you to, I just don't want to know what it would have turned out. So, um, part of God's answer to prayer is understanding that he's going to answer perfectly, and we need to trust him in that because he's a good father. It doesn't change the fact that he wants to answer our prayers. Um, He just doesn't always answer the way we expect. So, with those two things in mind, don't forget them, hold on to them, we're going to dive in. I have seven more reasons. Uh, If we get through them all, great. If we don't, I'm not going to try to rush through these. It's all in the app, so for those of you who are note takers, I've given it all to you. You don't have to write furiously and sprain your hand. Um, It's all available. But here we go. Number one. Double-mindedness prevents answers to prayer. James 1, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as, the, as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such a person, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything that they do. So James dives into this, and he reminds us of exactly what we've been kind of talking about through this whole series. We serve a good God who wants to answer our prayers, right? Like a good father who wants to give his children good things. We serve a good God who is anxious and excited to to answer our prayers. And so even in this, when we come to him asking for wisdom, God is generous. He wants to pour his wisdom out on us. He isn't like upset that we would ask him for it. But James says, have faith. Believe that when you ask God for wisdom that you're going to get it. And then he gets into this idea of being double-minded. So what does it mean to be double-minded? Well, in the Old Testament, remember, James is a Jew, so he's keeping in mind the stories and the teachings of the Old Testament scriptures. Often Israel would approach life and faith as, well, I love God and he's my God, but I want to serve these other gods as well. Because these other gods, for whatever reason, they allow me to do things that the Lord doesn't, or whatever the explanation was, whether it was the king, they wanted to have both. They wanted to have God and his blessing, but they wanted to have the freedom and the luxuries that came with these other quote-unquote gods. And Jesus picks this up in the New Testament. He says, you can't love God and money. James and John say, you can't love the world and love God. You You can't have them both. And one commentator said what double-mindedness is is that we want the gift, but we don't want the giver of the gift. We want to operate and live life the way that the world and society tells us to, and we just want God to come in at last resort when we really need him the most. Because we don't want the teachings, we don't want the, the way of life, we don't, want, we don't want all this other stuff, we just want the blessing. And James says someone who is double-minded like this should not expect to get his prayers answered. So double-mindedness is the first one that gets in the way. Uh, Just so you know, we are going to be in James for a lot of these. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, that is the book that we are going to be on because James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it's full of nice little bite-sized wisdom that we can follow along. So double-mindedness, number one. Number two. Inaction may frustrate answers to prayer. James 2.18, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. James paints this picture of faith that it's not just this thing that we hold in our heart. It's not just this thing we hold in our mind. But faith should influence every area of our life. It should inspire us to do good things. We don't do good things because we're scared that God's going to take away our salvation if we don't. It is an expression of the good work that God has done in us. And so James says they're, they're one and the same. If you have faith, you're going to live according to that faith. You're going to have the life, and you're going to live in a way that honors the God who's done such a great and amazing thing. And so when we're not active in our faith, it creates a problem. It creates a... Because when we pray, when you ask, if you ask your spouse, or you ask a friend for something, and you have an expectation that's going to come, you live differently. You live in expectation that something is going to happen. Well, it's the same thing with God. If we go to God and say, God, I need you to whatever, 
I need you to move in this area. Do you now live with the expectation that he's going to move, or do you just kind of like, eh, if it happens, cool. If it doesn't, uh, I figured as much. And one of the, the one author pointed out that Jesus did the same thing. In Luke, <clears throat> um, in Luke 9, we have this prayer of Jesus praying for Jerusalem. Turn from your ways. Turn back to your God. But he didn't just stop there with that prayer. He then proceeded to go into Jerusalem and start preaching the good news. He acted on the prayer. He started working towards the ends that he wanted to see. So it's not just praying about it, but it's acting on the prayers. It's being, doing your part. One author said that prayer without action is as ineffective as action without prayer. You need both. So inaction will frustrate answers to prayer. Number three, wrong motives block answers to prayer. James 4, verse, starting in verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Your motives are all wrong. Now, is James saying that we should never ask God for something that we're going to enjoy? No, because we serve a good God who is a good father who wants to give us good things. But it's the means by which we're going to get it, right? James is hinting at this idea of covetous wants those things that we covet with things that we want not because it's good not because it's going to enhance our life but because somebody else has it and now i want it and so the motives are wrong there's jealousy there's co- there's coveting there's <clears throat> and the one question that one author said was what is the means by which you want to achieve this is you getting this answer going to hurt or hinder somebody else's walk? Is, is you getting this going to deprive somebody else of something that they have? What is the repercussions of this prayer being answered? Is it simply just because, God, I need this because I want to see your kingdom advance or because my family needs rest or because... Is it simply good motives or are your motives all wrong? Wrong motives will block answers to prayer. Number four, sinful behavior. Oh, I'm, my spelling's working good, I see. Sinful behavior obstructs answer to prayer. <clears throat> First Peter 3, starting in verse 10. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Peter tells us that we should, as part of our faith walk, we need to be pursuing holiness. We need to be staying away from the things that are contrary to God's character and God's teaching. And if we continue in these things, then we, we, are an, we make ourselves an enemy of God. <laughs> James 4.4 4. 
You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. This kind of ties back to the worldliness or the double-mindedness, right? Do we want God to just give us all the good things with none of the repercussions because we just love the way the world operates? Or do we... And it's not about being perfect. I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's not that we have to be perfect in sin. It doesn't, or perfect, like, avoiding sin. It doesn't mean we have to be completely cleansed or you don't have to have all of our stuff in order. Because God knows our heart. But what's in our heart? Are we pursuing holiness and what has happened is simply just a stumble? Because God knows that. Or do we love the world so much and then we're like, well, I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness because I really want God to move in this area, but I don't want Him to be involved in any other area. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. Sinful behavior is going to get in the way of answered prayer. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James says, if you walk in the righteousness that God has given you, right? Because we can't do anything to be righteous. God makes us righteous. He has accomplished that through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So are you walking in that righteousness? Are you living up to it because the prayers of a righteous person are what they have great power and produce wonderful results now that idea of confession might make a couple people uncomfortable and i want to take this opportunity to make a little plug um sometime down the road i'm thinking in the fall it might come sooner we as a church are going to offer something called the set free retreat we did it back during covid a couple of you took part in it but the idea of the set free retreat is that most of us have stuff in our lives that whether we acknowledge it or not, we haven't fully dealt with, right? This idea of confession. And when we hear the idea of confessing sin, we're like, ooh, you know, we have, I don't know what you think of. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I know what I think of. I think of a creepy dark room with the priest telling him everything I did wrong. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm out. And what the set free retreat reminds us is that that's not what James has in mind when he says this. It's this idea that as righteous people who recognize that sin gets between us and God and gets in the way of our prayers, we don't want this stuff in our life. And so if the way of getting it out is through confession, if the way to get set free and break those bonds is through confession, then teach me the proper way to confess. Teach me how to do it right and show me who I need to confide in. Because trust me, I, I, as much as I'd love for you to come confess, I don't want all of you doing it because I would have time for nothing else in my life. Like, but we don't need to confess to the pastor. We don't need to confess to the priest. You can confess to the people you trust the most. So who is that person? What does it look like? Do I have to divulge all the details or can I just name it and be forgiven of it? So we're going to do that for the set free retreat at some point because it's this recognition that as people who have been made righteous, we don't want anything in our life that's going to taint, the, taint that righteousness. We want to be separate from it. And so uh, that is coming. Stay tuned. I was going to put the slide so you know what it looked like, and I forgot. So anyways, it's coming. I will advertise it a lot. Um, 
That's my little plug. But confession is the way through which we keep that sin out of our life. We keep that stuff out of the way that sometimes hinders our answers to prayer. <clears throat> Number five, self-indulgence impedes answers to prayer. James 5, you spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. 1 Timothy 6, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Is, James, or is Timothy and James saying that wealth is a bad thing? No. But what is the purpose of gaining the wealth? Do you want to be wealthy so you can be, do your part and advance in the kingdom of God? Or do you want to be wealthy so that you can have the easy life? Because Timothy said true wealth, after, this, after verse 10, he would go on to say that true wealth is contentment with godliness. Contentment, which means not desiring more, not wanting to add to what we already have, trusting that what we have is what God has given us, and walking in holiness before our God. Why? Because wealth, and Scripture talks about it a lot, wealth is a trap, and it leads to other sin. It leads to other temptation. It draws us away from the true faith. Jesus said, you can't love God and money. You can't. you got to pick one. So when I say self-indulgence, I mean this pursuit of more stuff, whether it's wealth, whether it's material things, whatever it is, self-indulgence often gets in the way because it has this repercussion of drawing us away from our God. David in the Psalms prayed, God, I pray that you would, give me, you would not give me so much that I forget about you and not give me so little that I steal and bring shame to your name. God, give me my daily bread. And my daily bread looks different for each of us. So it's understanding God teaching me what does my daily bread look like? What does it mean for me to live within what you have provided for me? Self-indulgence will get in the way. Number six, prayers that are contrary to God's will and obstruct an or God's will and glory obstruct answers to prayer. 1 John 5.14, we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Other translations say, we know that we will answer us when we ask anything according to his will. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I think sometimes we pray, God, your will be done as if it's this mystical thing that we can never know. But Paul says, no, we can know it. But it starts with us transforming our minds. It starts with us seeing things the way God sees them. It's changing the way we think. It's changing the way we talk. It's changing who we are and allowing God's word. The only way that happens is when we're in prayer and we're reading his word and allowing his truth to do that transformative work in our life. You can know the will of God. It doesn't have to be a mystery. If you're willing to put the time in to get to know who God is and what his desires are. <clears throat> 
John 14 says, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything for me in my name and I will do it. The motive here is what? It's not for our glory. It's not for our benefit. Jesus said, I want to answer your prayers so that God gets the glory. So what are you praying for? Peter tells us that God's desire is that everyone would come to a knowledge of repentance. Well, if your prayers are going to obstruct that, is God going to answer that prayer? Probably not. Are our prayers coming into alignment with God's good, perfect, and pleasing will? And are you doing the work to know what that good, pleasing, and perfect will is? Okay, I've gone into overtime. Um, Number seven, last one. Individualism and pride hinders answers to prayer. 1 Corinthians 12, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. 2 Corinthians 1, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people would give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. You were designed to live in community. You were designed to live in this faith community. You are part of something bigger than yourself and literally you are a part of it. And one of the things that I celebrated big time this past week, and I told people about it, I'm like, I'm so proud of our church. Oh, you should all be a part of it. Um, is the fact that our prayer wall for the last month has absolutely exploded. I've never seen people post as many comments as they have just saying, I need prayer. And people then comment being like, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. And it means that this, I, this culture of prayer thing that we've been praying for is starting to take root. I'm, just, I'm excited for you because we are meant to be a body. We are meant to lean on one another. We're meant to pray for one another. Not to pray. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered. Where two or three agree on anything. I will answer. And I said a couple weeks ago that the first step of what prayer accomplishes in our life, why we need to pray, is because what sin does, it tells us that we can do it on our own. We don't need God. We don't need anybody. I'm a self-made person. I don't need no man. Right? Like I can do it on my own. And it is a scheme of the devil to separate you from your family. It is a scheme of the devil to separate you from your God. You need God. All good things come from Him who gives to us generously and graciously. And you need the body. It is one of the biggest battles the church is facing ever since COVID because COVID said you can just stay home and you don't need to be part of the body. You can kind of get... No! You need to be part of something. You need to be part of something bigger than yourself. You need the prayers of your family. You need the prayers of the church. We need to be praying for one another because it is God's design to bring repentance in His kingdom and accomplish His will in our world. Individualism and pride will get in the way of answered prayer. So here are the seven things real quick. Uh, I said it's all on the app. If anyone wants to take a screenshot, uh, there it is. You take a picture with your phone. Double-mindedness, inaction, wrong motives, sinful behavior, self-indulgence, contrary to God's will and glory, and individualism. And the big thing that I want to remind each and every one of us is that this isn't a list that you need to go through every single time, but it's just like, God, is there something in my life that's going to 
hinder answer to prayer? Is there something in my life that's going to hinder our relationship? Because these things don't just hinder prayer. They hinder everything when it comes to our walk with Christ. So God, search my heart, search my life, and remove this stuff so that I can come to you boldly and confidently to see you move in the ways that only you can move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've accomplished for us. I thank you for your teaching, God. Father, I thank you that you are a good Father that wants to give your people good gifts, that you are eager to answer our prayers. And so, God, I pray that as we live to give you glory and honor, that we would remove those things that would get in the way. God, that we would be free of those hang-ups and those hindrances, God. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak to each and every one of our hearts to impress on us the things that are getting in the way. And God, that we would find, that you would show us how to remove it. You would show us how to either repent or confess or whatever it is we need to do to remove that thing so that our prayers can be completely unhindered before you. God, I thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect. You just expect us to be willing to be moved and transformed into the image, into your image. And as we grow in this area of prayer, God, may we just pray more and more. May we not give up. May we not stop. And may we trust you in the process. May we be better prayers um, throughout the year as we grow in this discipline and grow in this privilege that you've given us. Be with us, God, as either we go or as we discuss around the tables. Um, walk with us. Speak to us. Show us what we need throughout the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.